I just got a question last week. The girl, it's from one of our countries. The girl is now asking, is my marriage valid? I said, why are you asking that? She said, because when they came to ask me that are you willing to marry this guy? I said, no. Like I clearly said, no. Then they asked my father and he wasn't happy about it. Then my mum kind of said yes because she was led to believe it was okay or something. So she said it was okay. I said, okay, that's, let me understand this properly. So I said, you never said yes? No, I never said yes. You, you said no? Yes, I said no. Because for girls, if they stay silent, that could be taken as a yes because they might be embarrassed to say yes. But she actually said, I said no. So then I, after asking a quite a few guys, I said, yeah, your marriage is actually not even valid. It wasn't a marriage. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fi mubarakan alayhi kama yuhibbu. Rabbuna wa yarda jalla jalaluhu wa amma nawaluhu. Wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidil Habibil Mustafa sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa sallama tasliman kathiran ila yawmiddin amma ba'd. قال الله تعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد ولقد أرسلنا رسلا من قبلك وجعلنا لهم أزواجا وذرية يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والأرحام إن الله كان عليكم رقيبا صدق الله العظيم so, my dear brothers and dear sisters, dear friends, we're going to speak about relationships, particularly to do with marriage, but the, these are transferable discussions that we're having. And inshallah, this will help in all other areas as well. And so hopefully Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it beneficial for us. So we're speaking about trying to get a happy relationship going. What exactly should this relationship be? Marriage is so many things to different people. Different cultures have different ideas about marriage. And for some people, it's just a chore. It's what you have to do. When you get a certain age, you have to do it because you have to procreate. If you don't do it, everybody's going to be asking you. Some people get married because they just don't want to deal with the question of when are you going to get married, brother or sister? But... It carries on because after you get married, then it's like, when are you going to have children? Any news yet? It's like, what do you mean by news? Any news yet? You know? So, what exactly is marriage? And because of the mixed understanding of what marriage is, there's a lot of problems. We don't know how to deal with it because we don't know what the purpose of marriage is. Marriage ultimately is the coming together of two people in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to procreate as is the sunnah of Allah in this world. However, it's not that easy. Everybody puts their focus on marriage in the preparation stage. The amount of effort that is put on the two or three or four or five or ten days of marriage is more than they actually put into the rest of their life. The amount of effort that they put into the focus on what they're going to wear, who they're going to invite, what the food is going to be, and so on and so forth. Very few people actually think, how is it really going to be when I get... They have these romantic ideas of 
what they think the fantasy is all going to be about. But very few people actually start understanding, I'm going to be with another human being that comes with their own independent ideas and desires and thoughts. It's no longer what it used to be 50 to 100 years ago and before, where it was pretty standard. Everybody knew exactly what marriage was all about. Because at that time, uh, men worked in either some kind of business or the fields or the farm or something like that. And the girls came and they got married and they had children and they cooked and they cleaned and they went part of the community. Girls weren't educated in those days. Very few women were educated in those days. Now women are also educating themselves. They also want careers, right? So it becomes a lot more complicated, right? It becomes a lot more complicated. So it was quite simple. The expectations were much less. Now you have to think of so many different things. Right? You have to think of so many different things. So what I'm going to speak about today is that I'm going to speak about certain traits that we should all have that usually cause problems if you don't get them right. They usually cause problems in marriage. Okay? So I'm going to quickly go through that. Then I've got a list of additional points that I've made that I want to share with you and get our thoughts going. And then we'll open it up to questions. Because in a short amount of time that we have, we can't possibly discuss everything related to marriage. We just can't, right? Uh, th these courses that I've done before, they take several hours, and that doesn't even cover everything, right? So in an hour, how much are you going to do? In an hour and a half, whatever, you know, how much are you going to do? So I do, want the I do want you to have the opportunity to ask relevant questions, inshallah, because then at least we can zoom into those issues. Firstly, I'm going to mention uh, a few points. Uh, the, the first point is that what we need to look at is to focus on the time once we will be together. Now, you might be, a lot of people here might be saying, well, I'm already married, I've already passed those phases. Yes, that's true. But what I'm going to say actually relates to everybody, even people who are veterans in marriage, people who are married already, and people who are not married. Because these things, if we don't sort them out, they're probably causing problems in our marriage right now. So we can enhance our, we can enhance our marriage if we sort them out. And if you're not married, then... Inshallah, you can actually have a good marriage from the beginning. And if you are now on the last steps, right, veterans in marriage, well, you can teach this to the people who need to know from your family that you want them to get married. I feel sorry for our little poor brother there, what he's going to take from this. But uh, may, what's your name? Dean, if you don't understand something, put your hand up. Okay. You okay, brother? Mr. Orange, what's your name? You're the only one with orange, man. Then why do you stress the mar? It's Marwan. Not Marwan. It's Marwan. It's not Marvin. <laughs> it's Marwan. It's the Alif is Marwan. Okay? That's your name. It's a cool name. Okay? So say it properly. Not Marwan. Right? Marwan. I don't know who Marvin is. All right? MashaAllah. Thanks for being here. La ilaha illallah. One of the first things that are a big problem to marriage is anger. Okay, that is a problem. If you've got a problem with anger, you need to sort it out. Otherwise, it's going to mess your marriage up. If you are already married, it probably is spoiling your marriage. Okay, we just want to be honest and have these honest, reflective discussion today. Okay, how do you sort out anger? Personally, what helped me, and I think I had a bit of an anger issue, I probably still do, right? 
my wife has helped me a lot. But I think one thing that helps a lot in anger is to read the Quranic verses regarding it. And I did this whole series of lectures on anger. And then the hadith about it. And you understand what the Prophet ﷺ is saying. And then when you know about this, when you find the triggers of anger and so on. And then you try to control yourself. Now, there are also amazing courses out there on anger management. And you owe it to yourself if you've got a problem with anger to go and take a course. And you can take it privately online if you want to. Right? You don't have to tell anybody about it. But really, it will spoil your relationships. Because anger is just one of those indiscriminate, fiery, shaitani ideas that when it goes in excess, it just causes a lot of problems. You have to remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates everybody. So Marwan, you and everybody here, Allah has created us with a set of qualities and a set of challenges and weaknesses. So if you compare just three, four, five, two, three, four brothers and sisters, one family, right? Same parents, same food, etc. You'll see that one of them is slightly more laid back than the other. One of them gets a bit more angrier than the other. One of them is a bit more stingier than the other. One is more generous than the other. They all have different traits. And a parent's responsibility and our responsibility and a teacher's responsibility and our own individual responsibility is to figure out what my qualities are and use them for my success in this world and hereafter. And figure out my weaknesses, like I've got an anger problem. So then to suppress it and control it. Allah makes everybody unique in that sense. Our job is to use our qualities and to control our defects. That, that's, that's what it is. That's it. There's nobody perfect in this world. Only the prophets are made as perfect as you can get. Nobody else is perfect. We all have issues. And if we don't focus on that, we'll, now how do I know I've got an anger problem? Let me just very simply compare myself to my brothers and sisters. Do I get more angry than the rest? Then I've probably got an anger problem. Compare myself to my friends. Am I going, uh, do I get more angry than them? I've probably got an anger problem. Have I caused problems with others because of anger? I mean, come on. We should know this by now, right? Okay, number two. Again, this is just to give us an idea of how to look at this, right? Number two. Am I very sensitive? Am I very sensitive? And start crying for small things and stop talking to people, right? Some of these things are more in women, some of them are more in men, right? So it just really depends. Very difficult to live with somebody who's on small, small issues, stops talking to you. How do you live a life like that? Deal with the matter and get on, carry on. You just cry for free. You just keep crying on small things. And there's some people on the 27th night, they can't even cry even though they try to. And you, mashallah, you just, something small happens and you just start crying. So if you do have that issue, we need to sort it out. And the way to sort that out that I found to be useful for many people is that, that, as I've suggested to many people, is that start reading the Qur'an with meaning. One or two pages. And then every time you feel sensitive, start reading. Just take the Qur'an, start reading on your phone, wherever, over. And you'll find lots of things to cry about. That way you'll channel your emotions in the right way and you'll get something for your crying. Okay? Number two, if you can't do that at that moment, 
and you really feel like crying because you, that's what you, you've been doing, just pick up your hands to Allah and cry to Allah instead of just crying for free. You can't live like that. Deal with the matter and get on with it. Once my son came home from school, he was about six, seven, eight years old, I think. And I just heard him saying that I'm not talking to my friend. Right? Marwan, you, you, you've been through that kind of a thing where somebody doesn't want to talk to somebody. So I heard, I said, where did you learn to stop talking to somebody from? Who taught you that? We don't do that at home. We just say what we have to say, we deal with it, we move on. Right? You don't stop talking to... There are, uh, there are valid reasons to stop talking to people in some cases, right? But you deal with the matter. So what we usually say is that, look, deal with the issue and then, and then move on. Number three, are you addicted to something? Are you too into something? If you're really into your football and you're going to get married, come home, or you are married, and you come home from a long days of work and you just want to watch football or Netflix or I don't know, whatever else it is for three, four hours, that's going to cause a problem. Are you really into your family in the sense that even after you're married, you're still going to be rushing to your mom's house all the time and you're just about going to spend a you know, come home to cook or something. You understand? These are all issues. A marriage needs a whole new approach. You're a new person. You're now a husband or a wife. You're no longer just regular Ahmed or Aisha. You understand? You're a new person. You're, you're going to be a father, hopefully. You're going to be a mother soon. So now uh, I'm going to... Uh, so, so now you understand how to think about this. Think in your life, what are those things that will create some abrasion? And some turbulence between somebody else. In any relationship of yours, you should think about those things and sort them out. You, it's really worth it. Otherwise, you'll only tolerate it for a certain reason. For a certain amount of time. In the last one and a half years, I've dealt with about three to four 20-year-old marriages. Meaning marriages that are 20 years old. Not marriages of 20-year-olds, but 20-year-old marriages. With children who are can be married and now they're going to break up because their marriage has been messed up for the last 15 to 17 years and they've not done anything about it because culturally they couldn't because the culture's messed up or they were scared to do anything about it or they got bad advice the advice that I'm going to give based on this is that if you have issues get help sooner than later really get help sooner than later the reason is that Initially, you'll have one problem. Now, the, everybody's going to have problems in marriage, by the way. The Prophet's daughter, Fatima, radiallahu anha, once he went to visit Ali, he had something uh, to say to him, ask him, uh, he wanted to meet him. So he got, uh, Ali radiallahu he got to his house, Fatima anha opened the door. Where's Ali radiallahu anha? He said, oh, he, we've had a little bit of an issue, he's probably he's in a masjid, right? So the Prophet went to see him in the masjid. So everybody's going to have some kind of issues as you get to... And if you do this well, you'll start having lesser issues. Right? It's never 100% perfect. Just remember that. It's never 100% perfect. You have to know how to deal with the issues. That's what's important. You have to know how to deal with the issues. So the less issues that I create by thinking about them from before, or by thinking that I need to then the less chance that your children's lives 
eventually is going to be, lives are going to be punctured by a divorce or a separation. Or just constant turmoil in the house. So in the beginning, there's going to be an issue, one issue, for example. Now, not everything is a big issue. Things will, can get resolved if there's a will to resolve it. The issue that I'm talking about is the one that stays for multiple days and gives you sleepless nights and aggravates you and it doesn't get sorted out. That's when you need to get help. You don't go around to your mum each time that something happens. And mums are not the best places to go all the time either because they're very, very biased. Except in some cases where they're very, very objective and very fair about it. Okay? So we're not talking about small issues. We're talking about issues that last. Get help. Because when you have one issue, it's like you've gone a bit into the ground. So you're both in a little trench. Right? You're not on the same platform anymore. You're in a little trench. It's quite easy to resolve it, come out of that and be together again. If you have now, if you don't solve that and you have another issue, you've just sunk a bit deeper. You're getting further away from one another. Now imagine if you don't deal with these issues. You don't resolve them somehow. You just keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper until you can't even see one another anymore. That's literally how it happens. Dealt with people's cases over you know, several years before they were at least living in the same room. And now when... Over the years, we're not even sleeping together anymore. It's, but they don't want to do anything about it because they don't, they're not, they don't have the courage to do anything. Remember, miracles don't happen usually. Right? And there's some people who think that just by doing dua, everything will become right. It doesn't usually happen that way. Inna Allah la yughayru ma biqawmin hatta yughayru ma bi Allah makes and pushes the change once you start making the effort. They're not willing to take that gamble. I mean, I call it a gamble, but it's not make that effort of doing something different. They do the same old, same old, and it doesn't work. And they think one day it's going to work, and it doesn't work. Get help sooner than later. I know I'm, I'm not necessarily being as detailed, because then, uh, you know, I'm going to discuss these things. Now, what we have to remember is get help sooner than later. Now I'm going to share with you certain other uh, points uh, that uh, are points to think about and then inshallah we'll move it on to you people. Now remember in any relationship, let's just say there's a brother who's been married for 20 years. When they got married 20 years ago, they were literally different people than they are now. Humans change. Even the studies on the brain shows that your brain will be quite different. The, the, way, uh, the, uh, the, the form of it will be very different at least every 10 years. Our desires, our thoughts, the way we do things, our maturity level, our experiences, they change a lot throughout. And thus our partner will change as well. And we can hopefully change for the better. Now what's going to happen? Think about this. You get married, so now you become a husband. You become a wife. Very different from being that individual. But if you still want to act just like a bachelor, then clearly that's wrong because you have to play the role of a husband or wife now. Now, once you're a husband or wife, unless you get divorced, you're constantly going to be a husband or wife. Right? So, then you're going to have a child. So you're going to become a father now. You're going to become a mother. Now, with a father, there's probably less change that takes place. 
But with a mother, there's massive changes that take place. Fathers just don't understand it. For a mother, there's biological changes that take place when they become a mother. A massive change in the body. Right? Men just don't get it. They want them to be exactly the same, available. Right? We have children here, so we need to uh, discuss things at that level. Right? In these words, they think they still want to be available. They have to be available. Right? In the same way. They just don't realize the, the effect on their body and so on. And some women, even after having enough rest, they don't make an effort because they become a mother now. This is amazing what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed into the mother. That as soon as a woman, she, she can be however she is, independent, outgoing, absolutely selfish, indulgent, and she becomes a mother, the majority of women change. Some still don't, right? But the majority of women change. They become a mother. Their focus on that child, what it does to them, their hormones, their emotions, everything changes. There's science behind this that their whole emotions change, they hold the way their hormones are, all of that changes to make them befitting uh, that purpose. They become soft in that sense. And that is not a weakness. That is what should be celebrated because that makes them perfect for being the primary child uh, rarer. So, when you become a mother or a father, your actions, your behaviors, your pressures, your stresses, your thoughts, your psychology, your concerns, everything changes. And if you don't think that, you're not prepared for that, you didn't think of that, and then you're going to hate yourself. Or you're going to think that, why can't I do what I used to do? Well, you can't do because this is a different stage of your life and there's different responsibilities. And a spouse needs to understand that as well. This one relates more to women though, because they're the ones who go through a lot of change. You can be, once you become a mother, you can't be that same carefree person as you were when you didn't, you weren't a mother. Likewise, the guys, you're a father now. You can't be the same person. You've got a responsibility now. The mother's going through all of that physiological change and preparation and effort. You have to do everything else. What happens in marriage is marriage is like a curve that goes up and down. If you imagine marriage on a graph. So marriage is like a curve that goes up and down. So what happens is that there's a little bit of misunderstanding. Maybe the tea wasn't as hot as this that day. All right? Or something. And you just came back from where it's like, I like my tea very hot. Okay? And mashallah, Mawlana was so considerate to us. Should I even cool it down for you? Allahu Akbar. Right? Mashallah. You're gonna, I hope you do that to your wife as well. You know, or she does that to you. You clearly learnt it from somewhere, right? You don't think of these things if you've not been, if you don't have the tarbiyah. You have to remember that. I go to many places, especially when I go to university talks, and you can tell the tarbiyah of that student who is hosting you by the way he hosts you. You understand? With a masjid, it's these mature guys, they do it, right? Alhamdulillah. But when you go to a university, it's these 17, 18, 19 year olds, they're hosting you and you can tell the tarbiyah. Right? You can tell how their parents have brought them up. It's amazing. Right? 
So the marriage, remember, marriage is going to constantly go up and down. So, so why am I telling you that? In the ups, you enjoy it. When you go down, you put a bit more investment in. You put a bit more effort to get it back up. It may not, if you, if you don't do that, it'll stay down. The curve just starts going down. So marriage requires management. It could be an additional gift. It could be sitting down and having a discussion. Sometimes couples can't have discussions because you just don't listen to one another. So what I usually suggest to them is write an email to them. That they can just relax and read and not get defensive straight away. If you've got a spouse that's very defensive and as soon as you bring something up, they just start getting defensive and responding, right? And justifying their actions. Don't talk to them. You can't. You know what's going to happen. Learn. Learn from your experiences. People don't learn. They start doing the same thing over and over again. They think it's going to work the next time. Write them an email. Write them a letter. You know, write them a nice letter and just leave it for something there and don't be there so they can just read it. They can process their anger. You know, their defensiveness. And maybe, you know, write, make sure you write Bismillah at the top and a lot of du'as and things like that so that there's barakah in that. You know, uh, there's a barakah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there. You have to use different strategies. So remember that marriage is going to be like an like a ups and down graph. At the down points, you have to put extra effort in there. Use different strategies, get some assistance, put some more uh, focus on there to push it back up. Marriage requires constant. Until what ha- ev- the, this, uh, this up and down is a lot more at the beginning. This variation is a lot more until you get to know one another. I remember one thing. The best marriage is the one where you start to love your partner and care for them. That's what I mean, care for them. If you care for them, then whatever you do to them is going to harm you. So you will not do anything harmful to them. If you end up doing something that, that irritates them, it's going to irritate you because you're going to feel bad. If you've reached that stage, you've reached a good stage. If you're not at that stage where you don't mind irritating them because it does nothing, to, in fact it makes you happy, then you're in a very bad, bad place. That is the secret of marriage. If I upset my wife and she gets upset and I feel upset because she's upset, then, that is, then I'm not going to make her upset. But if we're divorced from that idea already, that it, where we've got different emotions, then we're already divorced in emotions. Do you understand what I'm saying? Then physically you may have be, you, you know, you should be, you know, what are you doing together? So you have to understand this. Now you might think, well, you know, she's so bad or he's so bad or whatever. And what's amazing is that love, you might not have love with somebody, but you can actually create that afterwards. It's amazing. If you focus on the positives. It's exactly what the Prophet ﷺ tells us. A man should not hate a woman because of certain things. He should focus on some character traits because if he's unhappy with certain character traits, he, should, he, he would be happy with other character traits. The people who are usually very upset about stuff is because either they had, they had wrong, um, they, they, were, they, they got married with the wrong ideas in mind of what it should be, right? They had this fairy tale idea of something being perfect, right? I mean, I know we live in a world right now where people are trying to be a manufactured doll. Right, the Barbie story. Right, the people, girls, because of that story, girls are trying to become like that, even though that's man-made and they're God-made. Right, but they want to become like her. I know we're living in some weird, really weird, uh, complicated 
situations. But so if the Prophet is encouraging us to think of the positives and make it work. Otherwise, the shaitan is going to remind us of the, the negatives. So marriage is a, married, the marriage curve goes up and down. We need to invest and work on it to get it elevated again. So now let's separate pure love and romance. Romance is that butterfly feeling, you know, when you're flirting with somebody, when it's prohibited or when it's new. So novelty brings romance, uh, usually, right? And illicit relationships bring romance. Then when you actually get married, it becomes boring for some people. And that's really a downer. That's why we don't allow dating in Islam. Because once you get married and it's like, I've got her now, there's no challenge left, it's going to become boring. Not to say that's the case all the time, but let all of that happen in the marriage and let it carry on forever. Discover one another properly. You have to do some background checks before you get married, but once you're content with as much as you can find before you get married, then once you get married, then it needs to be that whole discovery of one another and an investment from both sides. So romance can decline though. Remember that your marriage is not about romance. Romance can decline, but your love has to, has to intensify and enhance. So somebody asked me a question that how does your love increase after you've been with somebody for a Doesn't it get like old? Doesn't love get old? Love is that amazing thing that love, it's not about increase or decrease. I think that love, if you do it right, with the same person will only get more intense and enhanced. It's more of a qualitative change as opposed to a quantitative change. It'll become more enhanced. The reason why love becomes more enhanced is because you know more about that person, what they like and dislike. So you're more careful around that and you've actually molded yourself to a certain degree to work along with that. That's why it becomes more enhanced. Then what happens is that you have less problems. Because you're not doing things that are crazy. You've learned to sacrifice some of your own. They've learned to sacrifice some of their own. And you've kind of met somewhere in a very comfortable mean. So love is very different from romance. right? Romance can decline, but love can endure and become more refined and more elaborate. The problem we have today is that it's very difficult for people to focus on one individual. Before you'd get married to somebody and there'd be every, there, would, there would be some distractions, but they won't be so easily available. The culture wouldn't allow it and so on. And it'd be physically difficult for you to do other things and so on, right? However, now with the access to pornography, it's created for men these really strange ideas. So what, what does it do? What it does, not just pornography, but because the world now, the social media now allows beautiful women. Before, if there was a, a, a beautiful woman in an area, right, in one area, she would be beautiful in that area alone. But eventually she'd get married to somebody and, it, you know, they would live happily ever after. It'd be a done deal, right? She's not going to be available to anybody else afterwards, right, for the most part. Now women are finding that it's so easy to actually promote their beauty for the whole world and display it to the whole world. It's no longer just you're the only beauty in town. You want to be the most beautiful person around the world on Instagram and TikTok 
and and then that's all for free now they've given you a way to make money for your pictures on these other sites where there's these guys who are losers who come and watch and pay you for it I don't want to mention names here to give people ideas but you know where this is all going now what has that done so women have now got a platform for this whereas there was no platform for doing this kind of stuff before so now what that's done is that it's made men disposable I'm so beautiful I've got hundreds of men wanting me I got my choice I can take whatever I want so now you're gonna choose maybe the wealthiest guy or guy who gives you the most gifts or whatever but is that what makes a good husband they can leverage their beauty today as they've never done before because they can have millions of followers they're literally making themselves out to be the God as such that everybody's following so it's gonna put men down in value on the other hand you've got men who have access to all of this and to pornography and whatever they want so what they know they can do is they can access any of this and not be rejected because it's all on demand online how do they transfer that into the real world of an individual they don't know how to deal with real individuals because they've been dealing with unfortunately online people who are there just to express themselves for you so can you see how the whole thing has created such a complication in people's minds that's why men and women are getting further apart one person is mentioning that within five doors five houses around him there are three or four women who are over 40 years old and they're not married yet you have to avoid this stuff men and women are going further apart and even if they do come together because in Islam you bring them together because there's all of this confusion in the minds it's just not letting it stick together there's no value for one another today the world has given you an ability uh, social media and so on has given you the ability to narrowly indulge very deeply in one specific aspect of vice so you ignore everything else you're so in tune with this particular aspect you can't take a person for who they are anymore because you're so addicted to a very or multiple very specific vices I mean I can't say this very openly you know what I'm hopefully you understand what I'm talking about if you don't it's okay this is destroying humanity this is not good for us marriage is to create shared meaning and purpose there has to be some shared meaning and purpose what we're gonna do in life where do we want to go with this because that is the Islamic view of marriage my book on marriage you know what the last chapter is husband and wife in paradise because when you read all the verses in the Quran about paradise when you read verses about paradise and you read the hadith in fact there is no bachelor in paradise do you know that there is no single people in paradise Allah has created humans to be together with a husband and wife with as a couple and in paradise you will if you get there you will have a couple you will be a couple even if you've gone as an individual as a bachelor because there are if you're a man then there are women who've gone single they'll hook you up together right and then of course you know that that's that's what it is 
It's human nature to have a husband, uh, to, to have a man and a woman come together. That's, that is how Allah has designed it. That's how ultimately it'll be in Jannah, inshallah. Read the verses. Ma'azwajim, they'll be with azwajim, 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 with their spouses, with their spouses, with their spouses. You're not going to be with your father in paradise. You're not going to be living with your mother. Because if you were, you would all be living in a happy family with Adam alayhi salam. I guess we are all in paradise with Adam alayhi salam. You're going to be with your spouse. Your children are going to have their own family. And their children have their own family. Yes, you can visit one another, but that's what you're going to be. You know, if you marry somebody, as an example, right? This doesn't have to be from a man's side, a woman's side, it's any side. If a man marries a woman who, because he's just struck with her beauty, then most likely he's going to let her take advantage of him. Because he's just mesmerized by the beauty, beauty, and she knows that. You think they don't know? They're just going to take advantage of you, and then you become a loser. And it doesn't work that way. It's not about not taking advantage. It's just that you're doing the wrong thing. Plus, if you get married just for beauty, I'm not saying beauty should not be thought about. Yes, you do. You do need to be married to somebody you're attracted to. That's, that's definitely something you should be focused on. Right? Both husband and wife. But if you're just focused on beauty, is marriage about having the most beautiful person? You're going to put her in your front room, on a stage, and she just has to sit there for you for 24 hours, and you're just going to watch her because that's what you got married to her for. Or are there multiple other things that husband and wife are required to do? Right? So that's what you have to think about here. Remember one thing, a lot of people might ask about uh, multicultural marriages, nothing wrong with them. And we are becoming multicultural, but I don't think we're so multicultural. No. We're very multicultural in this country. And we're still very, very multicultural in the sense that, mashallah, people still adhere to their own culture still. We're, we're, it'll take another 50 to 100 years where people uh, will, everybody will just be eating fish and chips and pizza and pasta and things like that. Or actually, no, I think it's going to be biryani and uh, karai gosh, because that's the most famous, right? You, you know what I'm saying? It takes a while. So what we have to do is when you get married, you want to improve the chances of getting married. So you try to get married to somebody as most compatible as possible to you. Otherwise, there's nothing wrong with getting married to different cultures. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong. But already marriage is between two individuals with their own ideas. You still have to get used to both of that. So, two people from similar backgrounds will usually have a higher rate of success. Why? Because they already know one another's expectations and culture. At least that much you don't have to worry about. Right? Whereas when you get married to a new culture, not only are you learning about the individual, but also their culture. And you're going to be expected to do. And don't tell me you're not a cultural person. By the way, is there anybody here who's not a cultural person? Who doesn't believe in culture, who... Like tries to be non-cultural. Can, can you tell me? Is there anybody like that? There must be somebody. There's always somebody. No? There's a lot of people who don't like being Pakistani. I don't like Pakistani culture. I don't like Indian culture. I don't like Somali culture, or Yemeni culture, or whatever it is. And you know what? That's fine. But you still have a culture. You're just going to take out certain things of your culture and put something else in there. That's all you're doing. And we've already done that by living in this country. In this country, you can no longer be fully Pakistani. 
fully Indian, fully Yemeni. You can't be. It's impossible. I'll give you an example. When you go back, if you are originally from Pakistan, you go back to Pakistan, you frown and disapprove of some things that they do there, right? Because you think you know differently. You've already changed. That's the way, that's just the way the whole society works. I have neighbors who are of different, you know, ethnicities, and I take the best from them. And I avoid the bad even of my own culture. That's what we're supposed to do. The Prophet ﷺ in Medina Munawwara, he kept the good aspects of the Arabian culture. He didn't destroy it all and say, I brought a new culture for you. Islam doesn't do that. Islam just gives you paradigms and boundaries and rules and principles. Say, whatever's good in and every one of our cultures has some very good stuff in there. And it also has some weird stuff. We take out the bad, we keep the good, and we take any other good from anywhere else. Nothing wrong with that. The benefit of going with a proper Islamic culture is that you have a paradigm to, and some fixed principles. The modern world doesn't give you fixed principles. They're changing every so many years, every so many months. Things are changing. As a human being, it's too much work to change. You'd rather have principles from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you, you just deal with that. One of the biggest things that you need in marriage is honesty. Even if it is hard, don't lie in marriage. Ajeeb how husband and wives have this amazing ability to figure out a lie. You're living, you're living together so closely. You can, you have so many things. You know when somebody lies, right? They can be a very clever liar. But ultimately, the lie, because you're too close and you can't, you can't hide something forever. I think one of the best policies you can have is to be honest as much as possible. If you've done something wrong, at least if you're honest, there won't be a distrust issue. Okay? There won't be a distrust issue. At least say, okay, at least he's honest. At least you've got something going. Because if they're going to find out, your spouse afterwards, they'll never trust you again. That's why it's very, very important to make sure that you don't blatantly lie in, in, in these things. Now, if, if you did do something wrong and you are honest, the other side has to, because they want to invest in this marriage, they will adjust themselves to let the marriage carry on. It's a constant adjustment. You find that your spouse did something that you disliked. They're honest about it. You've spoken about it. Now, adjust yourself and carry on. Don't hold grudges for too long. Otherwise, that will constantly irritate you. Okay, another thing, and then inshallah, I'm going to open it up. Something I found out recently. Let's just say that something got you angry, right? An event happened and it got you angry. How long should that anger last? Does anybody know? No, no, this is human, this is human biology, human emotion. So, yeah, yeah. So, so, so this is what I'm going to speak about. According to the studies, what is anger? Anger, when you get angry, when somebody, something irritates you, something irks you, what happens is that there's a release of a hormone called the cortisol. Now, that flushes through your system. How long does it take to flush out once it's been released? About 90 seconds on average. One and a half minutes. So it may be very difficult within one and a half minutes to compose yourself unless you're very good at this and you practiced it. So one and a half minutes, okay. But after that, 
if you let's just say that an event took place yesterday yesterday was friday a little little event happened you got angry now you can either deal with it get over it because the the hormone is gone you know it's been flushed out of your system however if you want what you can do is you can keep bringing it up making yourself angry and keep releasing it basically on demand netflix of misery you understand on demand amazon you can order it anytime you can do that if you want to and keep getting angry it's like what's the point of getting angry of spilt milk it's done let's deal with it and move on that's very important to understand right that remember it should only take you 90 seconds after that you don't have an excuse unless you want to be angry so those people who hold grudges for too long who things bother them for too long they need to understand this that they need to uh, give up this and don't mind for misery usually mothers are very involved with the children right and the fathers they think that they don't have much to do so they take extra time at work or they go out with their friends they play football they're on a laptop while the mother's waiting in bed and he's on a laptop in another room doing i don't know what and so on and so forth right so men think that um, they don't have to be part and you have to remember that once you get children, the children actually need both male and female energy in the house, which they get from their mother and father. Both girls and daughters and sons, they both need male and female energy. And there's a lot of studies now that have taken place and are taking place about where an absent father syndrome, and what that does to the women, uh, to the girls. According to some research, it shows that girls who don't have a father figure in the house they'll actually biologically start menstruating sooner than other girls. That's one thing. Emotionally, they'll be... SubhanAllah. Emotionally, they will fall for older men in the beginning. They're looking for that father figure. So it's much more easier for them to be groomed. Because they missed their father and it's like humans need that. We're not helping. Also, when it comes to the malicious mother syndrome, sometimes you have these, you have a lot actually. Unfortunately, it's happening too much. I know at least 10 to 15 people now, right? Where they're divorced, they're separated, and the mother is not allowing the father to see the child. I, I know 10 to 15 people personally, right? That you can see how, and the, the mothers, they're doing this out of spite. They're doing this out of narcissism. They're doing this to attack their ex-husband. And they think it's, it's great. Now, this is what the studies show about what the children, how it harms the children, right? So it says that the children brought up in that kind of a single mother marriage, uh, so, sorry, single mother parent, because of this situation, they're going to grow up because the mother's usually going to convince them that your dad's a bad guy. I've saved you. Right? I've played very hard to save you. They're going to grow up thinking that the mother was abused. Uh, sorry, mother was abused by a man. So men are abusers, number one. And some men are abusers. Some men are abusers. But in this particular case, they're going to make it, they're going to, even if he was not an abuser, they're going to make him out to be an abuser. And that the mother's the savior. And then. As the child gets older for marriage, he's constantly going to be looking for vulnerable women, thinking that I have to save them. 
because he's been growing up looking after his mother ultimately because he's always seen her as vulnerable because she's made herself out to be that way that I'm alone and I'm single and so on and your father's a bad guy and all, all the rest of it he's going to try to rectify that by trying to find battered women to try to marry them to try to sort them out and it doesn't work it's this really bad cycle they're putting them into so one has to be very very careful remember children need both the parents energies very important there's a there's actually an interview with a woman who's now an older woman and she said she was brought up by two mothers you know the whole modern idea of having two mothers I don't mean like one husband and then two wives and you know they bring up the children together I don't mean that I mean you know two mothers that, as they have married together or whatever and she said look they were wonderful people but I miss you know it's not the same as having a father figure what males can provide women cannot provide as much as they do anything and what women can provide, the males can never provide. So you need both of those, both of that. And that, the only way to do that is actually to have a healthy relationship. That's why according to uh, one uh, major idea there, is that parenting is actually to fix yourself. You fix yourself and you can be better parents. So the most important uh, factors in a marriage are the husband and wife. If they can have a healthy relationship, your children can be brought up in a healthy relationship. Otherwise, uh, you can't have healthy children if you uh, don't have a healthy relationship yourself. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I mean, that, uh, that's all I'm going to share with you. I have a lot of other points, but I want to open up to questions and, you know, uh, we have to move on. So, I'll, uh, yeah, any questions that you have, let's take those questions, inshallah. Yeah, so, mashallah, our uncle here already sent us some questions. Is Iman and Akhlaq... Basic conditions in Muslim marriage, i.e., believers, Muslims cannot marry non believers and tayyibat and tayyibin. Right, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala thus says, Al tayyibatu lit tayyibina and al khabithatu lit khabithin wa tayyibatu lit tayyibin, al tayyibatu lit tayyibina wa tayyibuna lit tayyibat. So, yes, pure chaste women are for pure chaste men and uh, unchaste men for unchaste women. And what that basically means is that usually that's what you're going to look for. You're going to look for somebody like yourself. Usually. So there's a number of people who've uh, wanted to have a stunning wife. Right? Who literally uh, is an eye-turner for everybody. That's what he was a trophy wife. And then mashallah, he got some guidance and he's changed his ways. But now she's not ready yet to change her ways. And he's in a He's in a dilemma. So one of the ways to understand this verse is that you should obviously choose somebody like you, but then it's discouraging you to choose somebody who's not tayyib and who's not chaste, because that, that, why would you choose somebody like that? Then you must be like that as well. So there's some psychology in this verse as well to explain that. Now, um, maybe this is asking also that uh, can Muslims marry non-Muslims? Now you have to remember that marriage is a religious idea. It's always been a religious idea. Now they've made it a secular idea. So literally any two individuals, whether they believe in God or not, can go to the marriage uh, registrar and, get, and say that they're married as long as they fulfill certain you know, licenses or whatever it is, right? But in history, that's never been the case. Marriage was never a state idea, right? It was never a civil issue. It was a religious issue. Christians got married and Jews got married and Muslims get married, 
and Hindus get married to one another. It's a religious idea. It's blessing. It's a, it's a blessed communion. Where did it become a secular idea? Just exchanging vows. On what basis? For who? How can, how can law govern that idea? Right? And then they make divorce so difficult. You know? So that's never been a civil idea anyway. I mean, at least. So that's why um, in every religion, you get married to your own religion because it's going to be blessed in the name of that religion usually. In Islam though, there were some exceptions that were made based on need. However, they're disliked. They're only done in a place of need where if a Muslim man is unable to find a decent Muslim woman to marry, then he can marry a, uh, a Christian or a Jewish woman. That was allowed. However, the ulama mentioned that it's makru and undesirable to do this and reprehensible to do this because it's going to cause a lot of confusion and difficulty and challenges, especially for your offspring and children. And I've seen that happen actually, right? So while there's been an allowance for that, however, the other way has not been allowed where a Muslim woman marries a non-Muslim uh, person of the book is not allowed at all, right? So that's the answer to that one. Uh, should compatibility be taken into account? Education, family background, position in society, habits and ethnicity. Usually that's a good idea to take... Uh, compatibility definitely should be there. But compatibility no longer uh, is not entirely the same as it used to be. The compatibility norms have slightly changed. So in many countries, there used to be classes of people. Right? So if you had a higher class of a person or an upper class of a person and a person who were from, for example, the people who swept the streets or who cleaned the toilets, then it'd be really confusing because they were so very fixed in their particular culture that it'd be very difficult for them to adapt to one another. Like physically, practically, it'd be very difficult for them to adapt to one another. Right? Because remember the parents, children for generations thought alike. There was no individualism in those days. It was all tribalism. And, yeah, and, and, and people were of different classes as such. And that's how they thought. And that's how they did things. And it was very difficult to change all of that. Right? So we live in a place where it's more individual. I mean, you hardly find children. I mean, it's very difficult to find children who think alike as their parents. They have different ideas. Right? So com what is compatibility? Compatibility... Today, a lot of this can still make sense. One rule that I would say is that usually a man can marry anybody that is equal or lower. But a woman should never marry somebody lower than her. What does lower mean though? We're not talking about necessarily class system, but definitely in terms of uh, things that make sense. For example, if there's a man who makes less money than her, she makes more money, that there's studies that show that there is going to be a lot of hazards in that marriage. The man is going to feel impotent. They actually say that it affects his sex life. Psychologically, eventually. It, right? Because the design of the human being is, the design of a family structure in Islam is as one of my wife's advices is for a woman is that don't get married to anybody you can't respect. For example, right? As an example, the wife gets married to somebody who uh, makes lower money, less qualified. I've seen a marriage break, two lawyers in America. They're both lawyers. They're both, uh, they're both uh, lawyers. 
However, the, the wife had studied at a, better in, at a better university. And in America, there's a lot of university classicism, classism, right? And he had come from a lower level university. And that just messed up their dynamic. Not saying that that was the only reason, but that was definitely one thing that he pointed out to me. Right? Women should always marry equal or higher so that they can maintain the Islamic understanding of the Islamic hierarchy of a household as the man being the ultimately responsible one. I don't call him a dictator. I call him the responsible one. Because that's what the job is about. And if you can't respect your husband, let's just say that you speak English without an accent. And you get uh, the, the girl, the wife. And she gets married to somebody who can't speak English properly. And she, that's a problem for her. It doesn't have to be a problem. But that's a problem for her. And she's going to be making fun of him. That's not going to work. That's why in many cases where people try to get their daughters, force them to marry their cousins from another country, and they don't want to get married, they're doing a big disservice. I want to say this openly because I've seen, they call me afterwards. A 40-year-old woman called me with a masala. Some issue related to, I don't know, namaz or something. Like, you know, only somebody concerned about their faith is going to ask you that question. Right? So then, as we carried on speaking, she's telling me she's married to a non-Muslim. Now that shocked me. Because you're asking about something very particular of somebody who's quite practicing, and you're married to a non-Muslim, what does that even mean? And then she said, like, it's a long story. My parents forced me to marry somebody from my village or whatever it was, and we had no compatibility, I didn't want to marry, and so on. And they make it seem it's Islamic. So what these people, what these children then do is they think it's Islamic, so they start hating Islam. They don't realize that their parents are just using Islam. Because in Islam, you can't force your daughters to get married. I just got a question last week. The girl, it's from one of our countries. The girl is now asking, is my marriage valid? I said, why are you asking that? She said, because when they came to ask me, that, are you willing to marry this guy? I said, no. Like I clearly said, no. Then they asked my father, and he wasn't happy about it. Then my mum kind of said yes because she was led to believe it was okay or something. So she said it was okay. I said, okay, that's, let me understand this properly. So I said, you never said yes? No, I never said yes. You, you said no? Yes, I said no. Because for girls, if they stay silent, that could be taken as a yes because they might be embarrassed to say yes. But she actually said, I said no. So then, I, after asking a quite a few guys, I said, yeah, your marriage is actually not even valid. It wasn't a marriage. Now, just to give you an understanding, let's just say that she had said no, or she hadn't said anything, or she was not even consulted. And her father married her off to someone. Then they told her afterwards, that look, we married you off. And she's like, oh great, alhamdulillah, that marriage is done. But if she said no, then it's finished. So it's a contingent marriage on her approval. I said, yeah, your marriage is not done. There's some really crazy things like that going on. Islam in our Sharia, uh, for Hanafi madhab at least, they've given the woman to say yes or no. All right? So what was I saying? Don't get married. Don't get your daughters, allow them to marry somebody who's of a lower status because it spoils the Islamic hierarchy, Islamic system of the man being responsible. If she can't respect her husband, it doesn't work. 
right? So that's why there's now. However, if there is somebody who doesn't speak as well as her, but mashallah, he's a stable guy and he's decent and all that, and that doesn't bother her, it's fine. It's completely fine. A lot of this stuff is actually breaking down in England because we're such multicultural now in that sense. And in about another 50, 100 years, I've been to countries where there are Indian, Pakistanis and others for over 130 years now. And they get married to one another because these things aren't as important. But here, it is still important. And I would encourage people to get married within their culture as far as possible. It's just, you know what the expectations are. It's just easier. Somebody came to me and said that I don't want to get married to my own culture. I said, why? He said, because they come with baggage. So who do you want to get married to? A convert. I said, fine. But converts also come with baggage. It's just a different baggage. Everybody comes with baggage. Right? It's just you got a bit tired of your own baggage, so you, you want somebody else's baggage. That's all you want. <laughs> right? Okay. Um, should compatibility, Yes. Prenuptial contracts could include financial matters, any specific response of husband and wife inside and outside the house, and any greed rules to resolve disputes, agreed rules. Yeah, prenuptial contracts nowadays, I think, especially if you're a person with assets. So where I would suggest the prenuptial contract is if you've got assets and you're getting married like when you're older and there could be some issues. I think that would be helpful. Because Islamic way is quite clear, but the, problem, uh, but the issue is that the law gives 50% rights and many women want to pursue that and just, just take it all over. So I think in that sense it's useful. Another place it's useful is, let's just say, I had a case of a woman, uh, actually no, I didn't have a case, somebody else had a case, of a woman who was divorced from her husband, because he was quite violent and stuff like that. And then after some years they wanted to get back together. Should I get back to him? She wanted to get back as well, but she was unsure because she didn't know how he's going to be. And I think the last time what happened is that it took a while for him to give divorce because there's a lot of men, what they do is even though his marriage is broken down, they refuse to give a divorce. And I am Why should I do the haram act? Like you've been doing haram acts all your life. <laughs> and now when it comes to this, like I don't want to do it. It's not a haram act. Get out of it. Let her go. jamila. They go, no, 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 we want her back. And the guy, I've had a case of a guy who's still waiting for his wife to come back after three years and she's moved on. And he's having all sorts of parishaniya, right? He's losing, uh, you know, he can't focus on business. I said, are you crazy? Are you waiting for some mojiza? Three years, doesn't that teach you a lesson? Let her go and move on. There's a lot of other fish in the sea, man. Like move on, find somebody else. So there is, there's a lot of extremities, uh, you know, from that sense. So what... Uh, the advice given to her was that okay get married but take uh, in your marriage agreement you're going to agree or he's going to agree to give you one option of divorce meaning if he's ever physically violent or whatever it is you can issue a divorce to yourself and extract yourself out of the marriage and don't have to wait for him to give you the divorce and to hold you in ransom and blackmail you that way so there are some cases like that where we, we do a lot, where you've got some concerns about the other side, then we have these prenuptial contracts. Okay? Okay. Bismillah. Your questions now. Okay. So is it okay for the husband and wife to share financial uh, responsibilities in the home? And if the wife makes more money, can she add? Absolutely. If you want to, you can give all of your money to your husband or put it in the house. You can do what you want. All I'm going to say is what the principle is. The principle is, right, is men, be a man. Your job, our job as men is 
what's really interesting. All right? Now think of this. If, I have, if my children have their own money from like some rich inheritance or something like that, and they've got, mashallah, a lot of money, I actually don't have to spend my money on them. I can spend their money on them. So you know your child benefit money is actually given to the parent, to be honest. Right? So you don't need to leave that for your children. As long as you're spending on your children, it's fine. You can keep that money. It's given to a family. And if you want to read more about that, go on to our fatwacenter.org and actually read the whole fatwa on there because family uh, child benefit is not exclusively for the children. It's for families with children to help with the children. Okay? It's not the children's money. As long as you're spending on the money. Okay? So now the main point here is that I don't have to spend my money on my children. I can literally take from my children the money that I spend on them for food. I'm not going to do that, but you know what I'm saying? I can charge them a rent for the room that they stay in, if I want to, technically speaking. Right? Because you can do that. I'm not saying do that, but you can do that. However, if my wife is a millionaire, I'm still responsible to give her a, place to, a decent place to stay, clothing, and food. And she doesn't have to pay a penny. That's a husband's responsibility towards the wife. Okay? Now, if the wife wants to contribute without me obligating, fine. Now, as long as I'm giving her, and what standard? If I get a wife who comes from a family that shops at Selfridges, right? And I'm trying to buy her stuff from George Asda or from Primark, that's not allowed. You have to take both sides. I mean, if, you're gonna, if you want an elephant as a pet, you're going to have to feed it that much, right? If, you've get a, if you get a five-liter engine car, you better put that petrol. It's not going to work, is it? Otherwise, you can't then say, hey, petrol is too expensive. Why did you buy that car then? Right? Buy a 1.0 car then. You know what I'm saying? In Sharia, it's based on the custom of both families. So you take the husband, wife, both family, and you, you go into uh, the, the moderate amount between them. Now, if she wants more, I've given her moderate, but she wants more, she wants more luxury items, go ahead, you can, you can buy that. I'm not obligated to buy you luxury items. Now, if they, she just wants to contribute, that's fine. That's not a problem. Right? If you're already in that situation, there's nothing wrong with that. Women can contribute as much as they want. But all I will tell you though, for the sake of inheritance later, you need to be very clear who owns what? Not as a way like I own that, you own this. Just to know, so if there is a divorce or death, inheritance doesn't become complicated. Or you could say, we're going to put it into a single account, 50-50. You make that much, I make that much, it's 50-50. Or 60-40, that means anything we buy is 60-40. 60 is yours, 40 is mine. Just make sure you have that understanding. Not in a way to be greedy or to be you know, OCD about it. Just so that it's clear. As to what it is But yes Women can contribute That's fine I think what the, man, the man should probably uh, Pay for all the essentials so At least he still feels like a man Right That I'm looking after you And she can take him On luxury holidays <laughs> She can buy him Expensive gifts They're all extra anyway She can take him For umrahs every year yeah, I, I don't go into Husband and wife responsibilities Because it's like saying What are the fara'id of prayer Right? It's a good question, and I'm glad you asked it. But if, if somebody asks me, Sheikh, can you tell me what the obligations in prayer are? So do you know what the, the fara'id, the absolute basic, bare bone, integrals of prayer? 
is to say Allahu Akbar and you don't even have to raise your hands. That's sunnah to raise your hands. So you say Allahu Akbar, you read one verse, you can say to fulfill the obligation. To read the whole of Fatiha is a wajib, not a fard. Or to read anything else beyond that. So, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Or, Thumma uh, Nadhar. And then I go into Ruku, stay there for like uh, a second. And then I go into do two sajdas. And then I sit down and I do four rakats like that. I've done my prayer. What are you going to say to that prayer? It's like, what kind of a prayer is that? You understand? So, in marriage, very few obligations. Anybody who goes and just focuses on them, they're going to destroy their marriage. But it is relevant to know. The husband, his, re- his responsibility is to clothe her, decent clothing, give her a place to stay that is exclusive for her. So, it's, if a person wants to keep his wife in his parents' home, and... Uh, she, so she has her own room maybe But not a kitchen That is her own And bathroom which is her own She has to share that And she wants it separate She has the right to demand that So a husband is required to give his wife A living space That could be a decent studio flat With a small kitchen That is appropriate for the size of their family a bathroom and kitchen, uh, a toilet that is hers, uh, that is for her and her husband to use, nobody else uses, and a place that nobody else is going to interrupt them. It could be an apartment in a house where the rest of the family lives, as long as it's exclusive. You understand what I'm saying? That much. Clothing and food. That's all his obligation is. Basic. Her obligation to him is very simple. It is, number one, Look after his assets when he's not there. So don't let anybody enter and so on. Uh, so look after his assets and be available to him to fulfill his desires whenever he needs it. That's it. That's all that is. Cooking. You can't take a If a wife refused to cook, you can't take her to court for that, in an, even in an Islamic state. However, the masala here is that if you get a wife from a family where the women cook, then she will be, between her and Allah, obligated to cook as well. She would be sinful for not doing so, but you can't take her to court for it. So there's a difference between the legal system and between them and Allah. If she's from a family that has servants and cooks to do their cooking, then she's actually not obligated to cook. I hate mentioning this because that's not how a marriage works. You want to fulfill just the bare bones of marriage. It's very simple. In fact, you know what the scholars say? They say you have to provide her food, clothing, and shelter, right? They say you don't have to provide her medicine. But that's because of the, that, that's because of the custom of their time. Our customs are slightly different, right? Do you have to pay her for a mobile phone? These questions are going to come up. It's going to be ridiculous. That's why we make sure we're fully fulfilling the obligation. Be a man and make sure you fulfill those obligations. Right? I, I really get really angry when I hear questions like one woman called me and said, husband is forcing her to go to work. She's a niqabi. Right? She's a niqabi qababi. Right? Just joking. She's a niqabi. Right? 
And he said, he's forcing me to go to work. I said, why? He said, because he says he can't find a job where there's no mixing. MashaAllah. <laughs> right. That's, that's really cool. You know, that, that's really good. MashaAllah. Don't be a loser, man. Don't be a loser. Be a man. And then he's probably going to say, I want to get married to two. Only, only proper men can do that. Proper men can do that. And unfortunately, not everybody is a proper man. That's the problem. There's only two. But this is essentially what the Hanafi mother says. This is as simple as that. So as long as you're fulfilling that, but you have to go, you need a love bank account. Right? Every married couple need a love bank account. Right? And they're very easy to set up. Right? How, how many of you have a love bank account? How many of you have Starling bank account? Or a Monzo? And you don't have a love bank account? I mean, it's so, so easy to sign up. It's easier than getting a Starling account. And it's very, very useful. So what is a love bank account? Everything you do over and above what is expected, what is the norm, you're depositing into the love bank account. So, for example, I actually make my wife's tea both times of the day. Uh, not, not, not this one, because she doesn't like this, right? It's the only little thing I do, so, you know, uh, alhamdulillah, at least I do that much. Um, so, if I do something more than that, like, I, I don't buy her flowers all the time. If I went and bought some flowers to her, how is she going to feel? She's going to feel really good, right? What I've just done is I've deposited into our love bank account. She's, I've just put a balance in. So when you start doing that, she, uh, would, when I come, she said, look, what do you call it? I'm going to make, you know, this, I made this specially for you. And I know that it's difficult for her to make, for example. But she went out of her way to make it. How am I going to feel? I'm going to feel good. Right? So she's just deposited into the love bank account. Now what happens is, let's just say that this couple, the next day or the day after, they have a little misunderstanding. Shaitan comes into the picture immediately and tries to aggravate that and make it worse than it is. Oh, he hates you. He's probably got somebody else. Or she's doing this or she's doing that. These are all the weird ideas that come into your mind. However, if we've got a love bank balance, it's going to give her security that, no, he can't hate me that much. He just bought me some flowers the other day. She just made my special meal the other day. Do you understand? So you'll deplete from that. You'll take from that love bank account when you have these issues and you need this. Now, when I mentioned this in one place, you have to be careful with the flowers, okay? The guy, he, he said, Sheikh, you know what? After the lecture, he said, I bought my wife flowers and she got very angry. <laughs> I said, okay, no, no I, I know why. Right? I, I kind of had an idea. He said, tell me, what did you do? She likes her flowers. She knows her flowers. And I went and bought some, I don't know, an offer flowers. I don't know what they were, right? <laughs> and she's like, what, you bought me these kind of flowers? You understand? So if you're going to buy flowers, kuch soch, samaj ke, kuch right? Now, if you hear this and like every Friday now you go to Desco and you know, you buy the same old flowers area, she's going to get bored of that. That's not going to give any, it's like, yeah, that's all you know, you got no thought, right? Kuch samaj you know? If she likes flowers, if she hates flowers, there's no point buying her flowers, okay? Buy some chocolates, you know, some good chocolates or something. 
So if you buy the same old flowers, it's not going to do it, is it? It's the thought that goes in. It's a hadiyah. It's a gift. Has to be a surprise. I'm not. Let's not fixate on flowers, okay? It could be anything. It could be anything else. Right? It could be anything else. I'll take the kids today. You do it all the time. I'll take them today. Something like that. Whatever it is. Keep adding to that. And remember, a constant supply of deposit into the bank balance is better than trying to do a lot one day and then not, you know, I've done loads. Right? Any dentist here? Anybody who's a dentist? So I've got a question. You're a dentist? So let's just say that, you know, every day you get up late in the morning and you still have to brush your teeth, right? For two minutes. And somebody's getting frustrated. He says, you know what? On Sunday, I've got time. I'm going to do it for half an hour. So I don't have to do it in the week time. Huh? Is that... <laughs> that's harmful, right? Half an hour brushing, bang, bang, bang. You know, he's going to mess his gum up. So, not that it's going to mess it up here, but a constant amount of cleansing, you know, constant amount of deposit is what works very well. That will safeguard you the next time something goes wrong. It will, you've already like made some amends for it. It helps a lot. That was the back balance. Okay, brothers and sisters, Jazakallah khairan. Allah ta'ala improve our marriages. Allah improve our relationships. Allah improve ourselves because akhlaq. Ultimately, what does all this go back to? Akhlaq. Just Muslim character. If you have good Muslim character and a bit savviness and empathy for the other person and wanting to do good for the other person, you'll be successful inshaAllah. The point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially, for example, the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials Certificate, which you take 20 short modules. And at the end of that, inshallah, you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam, and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind. You can continue to, leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures, but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.